All right, so I'm going to rattle off all the cool things going on. Uh, All of these will be on the website at hilltopyoga.com. May 14th, our friend Dixon will come play live uh, from 12 to 2. This will be a vinyasa class while he plays. If you're curious about how he's going to fill the room, please look on Instagram at Dixon's Violin. He's amazing. We are opening our second location in Wicker Park, Chicago. So all of you in the Chicago area, look forward to, uh, yeah, giving you that second space. Really excited. It's looking like the middle of May. Just check the website for opening date. May 21 and 22, I will be in St. Joseph, Michigan at Yoga Life Workshopping. You'll have an opportunity to do four workshops there with me. So check out her website, yogalife.com. And then June, teacher training begins. So 200 hours with me. This is in person, Chicago. So jump in. Uh, On the website has all the information that you need to apply. I'll hopefully... See you soon in class. Shanti. Hi, everyone, and welcome to All Things Yoga. I'm Hilary Lockwood. So today I want to talk about healing. And I think healing is a really interesting concept because, you know, as I've gone through my processes of healing from multiple surgeries and uh, healing my heart and my head from uh, various traumas, I really feel that there's such a difference between this idea of healing and curing. So I am healing this week from my... 10th surgery. I've had very various surgeries for various reasons. Uh, I feel like I need then to let everyone know that I'm actually great. <laughs> I'm doing really good. Um, and that things just continue to pop up for me. And surgery really is a true piece of my karmic path for whatever reason. It's been really interesting. So this idea of healing and, you know, there's, there's physical healing where you've got to allow the body to go through what it needs to go through. And that for me, especially with these last belly surgeries, uh, that's been really wild because it's been a very different process than when I had my neck dissections. So I was diagnosed with uh, thyroid cancer, supposedly very easy in 2004. Um, They should never be allowed to say this, but I was told, looked straight in the eyes and told by my doctor at the time that if you're going to get cancer, this is the easiest one to get. Uh, Did not end up the case (laughs) with me. So uh, after a lot of seeking and searching and uh, going through just all kinds of confrontation in my process, we came to discover that it's not, it was not only metastatic, it was resistant. So metastatic into my lymph system and resistant to the only cure, which is radioactive iodine. Um, 
One thing I have to say, and I and I know that, you know, this is something I I speak on quite a bit. You have to be your own advocate when it comes to medical things. It's so easy to be thrown in a box of protocol, and if you don't fit in that, things will go sideways. So, you need to speak up. You need to fight for what you feel is absolutely best for you in the moment. And that means if you want multiple tests, second, third, fourth opinions, please get them. Um, so I was diagnosed in 2004 and I, I found my cancer through my, my meditation. So I was a 15 year yogi at the time. And I remember sitting in my just regular daily meditation and feeling drawn to the front and the left side of my neck, my throat. Um, I believe very much in energy and the way that energy works through the body and that it speaks to us all the time. I mean, it really is talking to us. Um, If we're listening, maybe we're actually getting the messages that we need throughout the day. I have learned through most of this experience, though, that listening to your own intuition about yourself is much harder than being intuitive about or for someone else because you're so invested in your own outcome that it's very hard to see clearly, right? The sattva, it's very hard to get clarity in personal situations. Um, So diagnosed in 2004, and as I sat in meditation and I'm feeling this sort of heat, you know, these kind of hot spots, I started to really pay attention to my physical practice as well. My asana practice was feeling very labored. My pranayama practice became really difficult, and simple tasks like walking up the stairs got harder Now, at this point, I had a 14-month-old, and uh, my oldest, Christian, was almost three. So I had every right to be exhausted. (laughs) Chasing after two babies is exhausting no matter what. Um, But as I really tuned in and started to pay attention, I knew something was wrong. And it took me going to three people in the town I lived in at the time, sort of poking around my throat. And I, and I started feeling around too, and I would feel palpable lymph nodes, um, which could be a cold, it could be allergies. That doesn't always mean something's wrong, right? And at this point, as a 15-year yogini, I assumed that it was a cold or allergies. I, I had no reason to really assume anything worse than that. In hindsight, you know, I talk about intuition all the time, and in hindsight, I was really being given such clear signs that something was definitely actually wrong. My meditations, those hot spots, the visualizations I was getting in meditation, so much of that was about cancer. Um, cancer was a prominent part of my life as my best friend 
was orphaned by the age of 21, both of her parents dying of cancer. And so this is something that her and I spoke about a lot. And, you know, I had just done a guided meditation in an oncology office in town. And this was something that just kept coming up. I I do remember leaving that guided meditation workshop that I taught. Um, And, you know, as teachers, we should always feel humbled by the fact that we get to do this. I, I never walk away feeling like, ooh, that was amazing. That was awesome. I walk away feeling like that was a blast. Like we just had a ton of fun. Uh, or, you know, that wrung us all out emotionally, mentally, etc. But I remember stepping away from this particular workshop and sitting in my car and just bawling because I was so moved by the the grace and the courage and the strength of these people in this room. And, you know, in, in my the back of my head, I'm thinking, who the hell am I? What right do I have to sit in this room with these people, these beautifully courageous people? Who am I to begin to think that I have any right to teach them how to stay calm or breathe through or visualize through their process of chemotherapy, surgeries, etc. I remember coming home and laying on my dining room table and calling my best friend, Laura, and her and I having this conversation. And, you know, we talk about this, that both of us just knew at that moment that I had cancer. We, we knew, we both knew and yet neither one of us spoke it out loud. It's a really hard thing to speak out loud. It's a really hard thing to intuitively know that something is wrong with you, really wrong with you, and to to accept it. (laughs) Acceptance is such a beautifully hard lesson in this practice. I remember feeling moved to a point of numbness, almost the way that I felt when my stepfather died, that very surreal, out-of-body sense of removal of self. Um, And it was after this and beginning to pay more attention that I went to three different people in town that felt my lymph nodes that said, oh, it's a cold, it's allergies, go home, you're fine, breasts feel fine, armpits seem fine. Uh, And true story, I, with no referral, because as we all know, if you know anything about the medical system, you can't get anything done without being referred. Um, I I will not go down that road too hard about insurance (laughs) and the medical system uh, because I simply can't. But um, so I went into an oncologist office in town uh, with no referral and I went up to the front desk and I asked to be seen. Um, And of course I was told no because I needed a referral And I started to cry and just cry like a child, that uncontrollable, panicked cry that 
I, I mean, where I was almost hyperventilating. I mean, I felt like a kid. Um, and, you know, they were not kind to me. They were trying to calm me down and trying to calm me down and then asking me to leave. And I have to leave. I don't have a referral. I have to leave. They were, uh, I feel like, and, you know, I could be wrong. This could be a memory assumption because our memory definitely plays tricks on us as we try to remember the pivotal, pivotal points of our, in our lives. Uh, I feel like they were about to call security and the doc came out and he, without even a second thought, told me to come back. Then we sat down, I calmed down and we chatted and he proceeded to ultrasound my neck, which immediately, uh, he followed up with a biopsy. If you've ever had a needle biopsy, they're very interesting. Uh, especially when you're, I mean, I can't say especially, but when they're in your throat, it's wild. It's, it's a little wild. Uh, because you feel the needle from the outside on the inside. You feel the needle. <laughs> and then, of course, they say, don't swallow. I'm like, dude, now all I want to do is swallow. <laughs> Why the hell do you say anything? Um, and, of course, because he was a radiologist and an oncologist, he knew what he was looking at. So this is one of those situations where I feel like he broke some of those cardinal rules, which, you know, are don't, you don't tell them the same day. Uh, they have to come back in, go home, come back. You'll we'll have your results in a week. He sat me down and he said, you know, it took about a quick, it was like 20 minutes, half an hour. He sat me down and he said, well, this could be a cold or it could be cancer. And I said, well, what do you think it is? I mean, you know. And he said, I believe that it's cancer. And so this is really where my process began. I don't know how many people feel this way, but I feel like I've lived so many lifetimes in this lifetime that when I think back and I, I, I think about my path to this and through this, there are moments that I, f I remember and I feel like, fuck, was that even real? Like, was that even, and then, you know, I have photos and I have documentation and yes, it's all real. <laughs> I did, this happened. I did actually live all of this. So as my process began, I, uh, it was very quick. I think I was diagnosed in June, late June and was headed into my first surgery in July. And the only reason that I remember sort of even remember the time frame of this first surgery was uh, because it was around the 4th of July and I remember fireworks happening. I think I had a surgery right around the weekend of the 4th of July celebration time. At this point, we didn't know it was metastatic nor that it was uh, resistant. And again, this is where I say be your own advocate. You know, I was put right away in this box of protocol, thyroid cancer, let's go in, let's take the thyroid, uh, go from there. So the cancer was wrapped around my vocal folds on my left side. Um, and rather than trying to, you know, you learn a lot when you live in the process of stuff like this. And rather than trying to peel the cancer from the vocal fold, this surgeon actually cut 
my left vocal cord. So I have a nubbin on the left side and a full right vocal cord. My entire thyroid was taken as well as various parathyroids on both sides and lymph removal. We didn't scrape the chest wall this time around. So I, after the surgery, I was ablated. So with the radioactive iodine, um, and this is probably my funniest recollection in this whole situation because this is this story seems so false and made up, and it's absolutely not. My mother is witness to this entire process. So I was super glued ear to ear. At this point, I hadn't had a clavicular surgery. Um, first one truly was ear to ear. So I'm super glued and I go in to uh, get my ablation. And, you know, with, with radioactive materials, obviously you're not in the same general uh, occupation or general, general population occupation, general population of everyone else. So my mom comes with me, we go in, they, uh, keep my mom in the waiting room. They take me to an out trailer that is attached to the, the main hospital wing right there. And I, you know, figure it's because of the levels of radiation, whatever. So they proceed to give me booties, a full like uh, hazmat suit, a mask, a hairnet, gloves. I'm I'm covered all except my my like eyes and nose basically, um, and they the first woman's pretty friendly to me, but then I'm they hand me over to this man who also is in a hazmat suit, but this one is like for real. It's like a bee suit. It's dark plastic. He's got a face shield. Uh, it, it was it was crazy. So he puts me in this room. He doesn't say a word to me. This is where I feel like I understand that you're kind of a body mechanic at this point, but man, you're also dealing with human beings. And I think it's easy to for people to forget that we need that human aspect to feel safe, to feel as if we're actually being cared for, not just pushed along. So he put me in this room, didn't say a word to me. He leaves. Uh, and the, at this point, the door is open, comes back with tongs. I shit you not, this is the truth. Comes back with tongs and this giant pill. Now, I've just had a full neck dissection, ear to ear. And I can barely swallow liquid. So I'm wondering how the hell I'm going to get this pill down. Uh, he hands me this pill and simply just says to me, swallow it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Mr. Personality. So I struggle it down. I swallow it. He says nothing to me, literally, and then leaves the room and closes the door and then I hear the door lock and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way, there's no way that he just locked me in this room. 
I mean, is there, can they do that? This whole thing was so wild. So it's been about 20 minutes. I don't check the lock the first time because I'm just like, whatever. So he comes back in, right? Like in his full on space suit and with a Geiger counter, literally a Geiger counter. You can buy them and gets close to me and it's like beeping faster, faster, faster. So clearly I'm hot, right? Uh, Doesn't say a word. Again, doesn't say a word. Leaves, shuts and locks the door again. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So this time, of course, I get up and I check the door. And yes, it's locked. Like, this is completely nuts. So I'm locked in this room. Another 20-ish minutes go by. Comes back in. Same thing. Beep, 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 beep. Too hot. Leaves. Not a word from this asshole, not a word. And th- this la- I'm just cracking up at this point. And the last time he comes in, I remember being fairly confrontational. He comes in, he checks it slower, the beeps are slower. And I look at him and I'm like, I think I said something like, cat got your tongue or something stupid. Um, and still he literally... I think he said one word. I think he said, or or like one phrase. I think he said, you're done. That was it. So he leaves the door open. He says, I'm done. And I'm just sitting there. You know, usually someone would come in and escort you out, especially when you're in the radioactive wing. I still have all this shit on my costume, basically. And uh, rather than... I waited, you know, I waited. Like I'm, it's, I'm not a hesitant person. I know that's a surprise to everyone. Uh, but I, you know, you're scared. You like, you don't know what's going on and you don't know what the rules are and what you can and can't do. So I waited there, but finally I just got up and I went back to the front desk and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't be within eight feet of another human being. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the actual fuck? So my mom drove me here. You didn't tell me that. Shouldn't that have been something that you had told me beforehand? So I tell them, they scoop me into this other sort of waiting room. And I tell the lady, I'm like, my mom is with me. You didn't tell me I couldn't be around other people. So basically, I was so radioactive at this point. They gave my mom gloves. They gave her a mask. I was so radioactive at this point that I would have killed my cats if I had touched them. I My pee basically glowed in the dark, which I did check, and it, it did. You know, you get bored. I was quarantined for a week by myself. My husband had to build a door at the top of our stairs, which didn't exist, um, so that I had... So that I, the animals couldn't come up. My babies, my babies had to go to my mom's for the entire week. I had to like automatically stop breastfeeding my son, which was completely heartbreaking. Um, I remember this week, you know, started off and I'm feeling very yogic and I'm like, there are seven other limbs, seven other limbs. I can, I can do this. And... 
and like writing poetry and watching, you know, moving, moving television and like writing really inspirational stuff. And by midweek, I'm so pissed. I'm so sick of hummus. I'm, you know, because my husband had to like scoot stuff through the door and then run away. Uh, I'm writing like Annie DeFranco songs at this point and just pissed like fuck the seven other limbs this is bullshit it's this whole process of going through this garbage and being alone up there for a week and having to wear gloves and then sheets that had to be thrown out and a disposable cell phone and just so weird things you would never imagine and I there are so many different uh, ideas or cures for cancers and we go through so much shit to try to get well it's as if they want to bring us as close to death in the cure as possible you know maybe maybe to kill as many cells as possible and as they regenerate the hope is that the cells that regenerate are healthy and new I don't know I just this was such an incredibly lonely, terrifying experience. The week was over. I went back, got ultrasounded. I had a pet cat, which is a combination pet scan, cat scan, and nothing had changed. Uh, and so I was headed back into surgery for my second neck dissection, as soon as my body healed enough, so 12 weeks, healed enough to do that. And this is where I really began my research and my push into what do I need to really truly do now? Because I don't, I don't fit protocol and I'm not gonna get radiated over and over and over again if the radiation is literally doing nothing. I had this really sweet friend who had a friend who was a doctor at U of M, but she had also had resistant thyroid cancer and had just been surgically run through the ringer. And she became a huge, she became a huge resource for me and just kept pushing me to push them to test for resistance. And you guys, I'm telling you, sometimes it's a fight because it's inconveniencing someone or you're just not with the right people. And I felt like it was both for me. You know, I had, I ended up with three different surgeons through this 16 year process of my thyroid cancer. And the last surgeon I had ended up, ended up being my sweet love soul surgeon, truly. Um, I'm so grateful to this human and continuously grateful to this original doctor who took me in his office and, you know, me outside crying and kind of going crazy, uh, taking me in his office, trusting me that I know my body well enough to know that something was wrong. But, you know, you've got to push to be your own advocate. If it doesn't feel right to you, don't continue. If it doesn't feel soulfully good 
and like it fits. And this is your surgeons and your doctors and the people that are in, have your care in their hands. You have to trust them and it has to intuitively feel good. So first surgeon, uh, come to find out, yeah, but he probably shouldn't have done my first surgery. Uh, there were two of them in my neck that first time around and, um, yeah, they should have, we should have just done more research into the extent, uh, with, of which my, my cancer had kind of taken over my lymph system in my neck and my vocal cords. You know, I didn't know at the time it was possible to peel the cancer from the cord rather than cutting it. And so now being a singer and a yogi, dealing with potentially not having a voice and possibly speaking through a trach box, um, and knowing that my voice was going to be forever different, it's why I sound the way I sound. I call it my Janis Joplin. When my kids were little, you know, I would immediately break the ice with their friends about me sounding like a robot because my kids would get so offended when their friends would say, what's wrong with your mom? What's wrong with your mom's voice? Um, I'm lucky to make sound at all. Vocal cords have to come together to make sound. And because of singing, because of pranayama, my right cord was so flexible that it truly just travels all the way over to essentially hug the left nubbin. <laughs> so uh, it's why I make sound at all. And I feel very grateful to make the robot sound that I do make. Healing and curing are different. After all of this and sitting, being sat down and told that nothing had changed and then pushing them to test for resistance, which it was, now put me in the 1% of survival for this particular cancer, metastatic resistant papillary carcinoma. Um, I remember being sat down and told that I was in the 1% and that I needed to get my life, my affairs in order. I can't explain this moment, what you feel or don't feel, I should say, that hot flush of nothing and everything at the same time. and. I have babies, I have babies that will have no cognitive memories of me at this point. And I knew in my soul, in my spirit, that this was the beginning of a very long journey. Uh, it wasn't an end, it was definitely a beginning my mother, my grandmother, my sister, I had the people around me to rally and give me the support that I deeply needed. My husband at the time, really relying on the love and the need that my babies had for me uh, while I'm trying to emotionally 
or wrap my head around the fact that my tits are killing me because I'm having to wean my child immediately and he's upset and I'm upset and you know it's also extremely painful and I wasn't ready to do that just my body not being the body I knew or that body of expectation that I had, and we all have it, right? We think that we're going to stay healthy, and we think that we're going to stay strong, and that I'm one of the strongest people I know, and I'm going to be healthy forever. And man, when that's pulled, it's such a crazy feeling. It's as if it's not you, and you're not present I had to keep forcing myself literally forcing myself to continue to sit in my meditation and one of the things that kept me sitting was this is how I found my cancer so I have to rely on this source this tool I have to I have to trust it because it's what led me to this place in the first place and how much worse off would I be if my meditation didn't give me these answers? So I had to force myself to sit because, of course, I couldn't do asana. I had to sit and really dharana became such an important focus for me because... If I didn't have something singular to focus on, my mind would just spin and spin and spin in fear. And I'm leaving my kids and they're not going to remember me. And my God, I, you know, I just started building my studio. We're going to open in August. This is fucking crazy. Um, my husband, who I loved so much, like... All of these things, my students, how, how, what am I going to leave? I'm not ready. And that's so ego-driven. It's a being the vesa, right? I'm clinging so deeply to this bodily life. I'm not ready to leave. I'm not done. I have so much to do. And thank God I did have and do still have so much to do now. Years, years later, I mean, you know, 2004, so, yeah, a long time, a long time, um, healing begins with a state of mind, it begins with a sitting in the tremendous shit that you've just been dealt because aversion isn't going to work and uh, depression isn't going to work. You know, there's tamas and there's rajas and I tend to lean toward rajas, this overactivity, this stay busy, just keep moving, just be busy, just be busy. Uh, that's no better. That's aversion. That's no better than Tama sitting in the depression of it and giving up. I wasn't, I definitely wasn't going to do that. And 
there's this incredible middle ground of survival where healing began to happen because I was sitting in my meditation and I, and I was starting to begin to accept this process and what it was going to look like. And, you know, if I really only had months to live, I was going to do my damnedest to not live in fear. And I can't explain this level of difficulty to try to come up and to to get up, to wake up in the morning and to not think about it, to take that first step and to not think about it, to just to wake up, to take a breath and say, okay, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. And to hear my baby cry and to be like, okay, this sucks, but he gets a bottle and thank God I froze milk. Like, just to be grateful and to slowly begin to settle into acceptance. My second surgery was scheduled. Uh, the surgery was going to be improved to be a much more challenging surgery as this one would be ear to ear, clavicle to clavicle, and uh, scraping or scooping soft tissue from my chest wall to create a margin of safety. I tell my story um, which is truly just the beginning of my story because I feel like it's really important for people to know that we all have a story, for people to know that no matter how long you're on your mat or what spiritual depth you have in whatever it is that you believe, that shit goes sideways and that there is still a way to soften and settle into accepting this process of healing. I knew that me beginning to accept and heal my mind, my emotional body through this second surgery, which each time I have surgery, I believe it's gonna be my last one. This last Friday was number 10. So I've stopped saying that. <laughs> I know my body is so strong. And I'm incredibly grateful that this tiny little house, this strength of this house has held through now 10 surgeries. But I knew that this process of healing was mental and emotional for me. And that that was going to feed my body something. But I knew that didn't necessarily equal a cure. And this is what I mean when I say that I believe healing and curing are two different things. Acceptance to me is healing. Acceptance of a present situation is healing. Getting up and welcoming the day, even when shit is so bad and so you're just in the thick of it, that is healing. To still sit in meditation and to be tortured in that meditation by the darkness of your own thoughts this is still healing. Whether that leads to a cure or not, I don't believe lies in our hands. And so in this level of healing is not only acceptance, it's deep 
surrender and letting go of any idea that I am able to control the destiny or the course of this path. I will be my own advocate. I will make sure that I'm making decisions that feel intuitively correct for me, soulfully. The people, the team, the place, all of it. But I will also have to throw my hands up and honor a level of faith and surrender that regardless of this outcome, I can, even if it's only for another minute and that's all I'm gifted, that I can live my life today, that I can hold my children, that I can give my baby boy that bottle without anger, resentment, or yeah, fear that there's a way to welcome the beauty of that moment presently without the darkness of cancer or whatever it is, without the darkness of that pulling, being pulled into every situation or being that cloud that covers every situation. It does not have to be that way. Healing my mind, healing my emotional body. I have this moment with my lover. I have this moment with my best friend. I have this moment with my babies. I have this moment with my meditation and myself to begin to consciously heal. So I want you to do that. Whatever you're going through, whatever it is, know that it's not possible to snap our fingers and be cured from our traumas, our illnesses, our injuries, our injuries, but there is a way to sit in it in a deep space of acceptance and surrender to always find that Tarana, that deep single focus to keep as a home base so that the fear and the, that chitta vritti, that dark voice doesn't rule the day. Healing, acceptance, Surrender, acceptance, surrender, acceptance, surrender, acceptance, surrender equals gratitude of a present moment. I will continue to share my story um, as it just gets crazier. Uh, but this is why I am a, such an advocate for yoga and the fact that it works in all aspects. You know, it's... We're, we get so stuck in this idea of asana being everything. And, you know, right now, again, after this current surgery, I'm black and blue. I have stitches. I'm not going to be on my mat for another four weeks that way. So I know that the brilliance of my set, the way that it talks to me and what it has to give me, becomes my level of acceptance and surrender into this current moment. Um, yeah, do the same. Do the same. We're all strong enough. We are. And just please know that it doesn't mean that you know what the outcome is going to be, especially for yourself, but it does mean you can change the quality of the moment that you're in. All right, you guys. Uh, enjoy this beautiful, beautiful day. Rest. Be sweet. Shanti, shanti.
Thank you for listening always. You are-